The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Investors gearing up to wrap up another turbulent week of trading with the monthly jobs report set to provide fresh fuel, maybe, for the stock market. Also giving the market some juice right now, the Senate signing off on a short-term debt deal as the House looks to send that bill to President Biden's desk. So long, California. Hello, Texas. Elon Musk announcing Tesla's picking up and moving its headquarters to the Lone Star State. And the natural global natural gas shortage sending prices skyrocketing as suppliers struggle to meet demand. Our exclusive conversation with the CEO of one of the U.S.'s largest natural gas producers, and it's the end of an era for a top celebrity chef, Bobby Flay, apparently chopping ties with the Food Network. It's Friday, October 8th, a busy news day. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Happy Friday. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today, and here is how your money and the global markets are setting their Friday up. Stock futures right now, let's say they're stable in a holding pattern. The Dow implied lower by just about 22 points. The S&P lower by about seven and the Nasdaq down by 37. Very muted moves considering where we've been over the course of the last couple of weeks. Now, all three major indices were able to tack on gains of roughly one percent yesterday after the Senate struck a deal to raise the debt ceiling. We'll have more on that story in just a moment. We want to get a check on treasuries right now as the 10-year pushes closer to that 1.6% mark. Currently, just on that number, 1.600, two-year treasury note yields just a hair above 32 basis points or 0.32%, and the 30-year long bond just about 2.16% as well. We have that big release of the key monthly jobs report out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, and right now that interest rate complex showing at least a little bit of signs in terms of Prices lower, yields higher. Perhaps one of the biggest stories of the markets right now is energy. Oil rebounding yesterday after amid a a growing doubts that the U.S. will release crude oil from its strategic petroleum reserves in a a bid to tackle tight supplies. Right now, WTI, a 1.5% upside, $79.52. World benchmark ice bread crude futures, $83.20, about 1.5% as well there. Let's now go worldwide. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade in Europe. Juliana, good Friday morning. Good morning, Dom. So European markets this week um, really got a a boost of support, paving the way for a march higher after that retreat in natural gas prices that you just alluded to there. We've seen a pullback now in European and UK natural gas prices, which has created an environment for uh, European equities to move higher. This morning, though, we are in a little bit of a holding pattern ourselves. So tracking what you're seeing in U.S. futures with European investors seemingly cautious ahead of that all-important U.S. jobs report later on today. FTSE 100, the key 
bright spot in the market this morning. This UK index is trading about seven basis points higher. But outside of that, we do have red across the board. Um, I want to just take you to the travel sector in particular. Travel firms have welcomed the UK government's latest restriction relaxation. 47 countries were taken off the so-called red list. And this red list was a real deterrent to travel. You had to stay in hotel quarantine upon arrival back in the UK, a really costly endeavor. So now the UK has gone and removed 47 countries from that list. Only seven countries remain. So we are seeing a little bit of a bid come through for um, UK travel names. Uh, Not a huge amount of movement. This was well telegraphed, but a further step in the normalization of life here in the UK. Dom, back over to you. All right, Juliana Tannelbaum, live in London. Thank you very much for that. Let's get a check on some of our other top stories this morning. Christina Partsonevelis is here with those. Good Friday morning, Christina. Yeah, we made it. The Senate, though, has approved a short-term increase to this country's debt limit to avoid a potential default in the next few weeks. Eleven Republicans joining all 50 Democrats to provide the 60 votes needed to get the bill approved last night. The measure now heads to the House with Democratic leaders. They're saying members will return Tuesday to vote on it. The agreement allows the debt limit to increase by $480 billion, which the Treasury says will allow it to pay bills until only December 3rd. Turning to Tesla, it's moving its headquarters from Palo Alto, California to Austin, Texas. Elon Musk making the announcement during the company's shareholder meeting yesterday. Despite the shift, Musk says the company plans to increase production at its California facility. He also touched on the ongoing global chip shortage and its potential impact on sales growth. Basically, if we can get the chips, (laughs) we can do it. Um, So uh, hopefully this chip shortage will alleviate soon. But... um, I feel confident um, of being able to maintain something like this at least above 50 percent for quite a while. And China has reportedly ordered coal miners to ramp up production amid those surging energy prices. According to the Financial Times, officials have instructed instructed 72 miners in the country's largest coal-producing regions to expand capacity by 100 tons. The FT says the apparent move comes as China grapples with power shortages, impacting everything from high-tech manufacturing facilities to food production. Dom? All right, Christina Partsonevelis, thank you very much for that. We'll see you later on. Yeah. Back to the markets as investors prepare to wrap up what's been another roller coaster week. Despite Monday's sell-off to kick things off for the week, all three major indices are poised to finish, believe it or not, in the green. The Dow and the S&P up around 1% or more with the Nasdaq lagging up just over half a percent. Still, though, it's a, maybe a small victory for the bulls. For more, let's bring in Joseph Fahmy, managing director of Zor Capital. I, I, Joe, I, I, you know, you and I follow each other on Twitter. We, we see the commentary there. Is it surprising at all for you that post Evergrande, post what we saw on Monday, that the markets could actually be trying to take a leg higher right now? Yeah, not at all. I mean, if you review what's happened recently is... Uh, I think this pullback is normal. I think it's part of the seasonal weakness. From about mid-September until mid-October, the market is traditionally weak. You have a lot of factors such as uh, index rebalancing, end of the quarter, portfolio adjustments, uh, government fiscal year-end, the debt ceiling, and all. The the news cycle tends to shift away from fundamentals. So it's actually pretty normal to see this pullback during this seasonally weak time. But coming out of this, from the second half of October into November and December, which are two traditionally strong months, I think the news cycle will start to shift towards fundamentals. A lot of the FANG stocks will be reporting uh, earnings soon, and we can start to focus a little bit more 
on the fundamentals and shift into a seasonally seasonally favorable time for the markets. You know, Joseph, there used to be a time when we talked about pullbacks and pullbacks meant like, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12, 15 percent, sometimes maybe even more. We haven't really seen that for a while now, certainly not the 10 to 15 to 20 percent variety. Is it worrisome at all that when we see pullbacks now, the pullbacks are maybe three to five percent and that's about as deep as it goes? Yeah, that's a great point. I think the uh, liquidity provided into the system with all the sector rotation where money is constantly rotating from when they sell off tech, it rotates into energy or financials. And I've noticed that the S&P corrects, let's say, three to five percent. But a lot of growth stocks do correct uh, greater than that. When you look at a lot of the average stocks, they are down double digits from their highs. Uh, But I think a lot of the liquidity that the Fed is providing is uh, keeping that sector rotation alive. And uh, speaking of the Fed, they meet every six weeks. Their next meeting is scheduled in early November. And I don't see them rattling the markets at all. They'll announce their taper schedule uh, that they're going to reduce the $120 billion in bond buying that started uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. But I don't see that starting until 2022. And interest rates, they're not going to touch for a while. So I think that liquidity that you're talking about that keeps the market propped up, the Fed will continue to provide that uh, equity-friendly environment. I'm glad you brought that up because obviously with the jobs you know, number coming out today, liquidity, Fed policy is certainly in focus here. Uh, for a lot of folks out there, it's going to take a lot in terms of a jobs number, either huge gains or, 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 or very disappointing numbers to really move the market or the Fed, perhaps, from its policy right now. But is there any possible way that the Fed could misstep in the next six, to t- six months to two years, given the fact that everybody kind of knows what's going to happen in that time frame? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that they've made it clear that they would rather be late than early. There's no question a lot of the economic numbers are back to normal or even trending above normal prior to the pandemic. But they want to make sure that uh, the economy recovers. And I think they are going to, if the analogy is, peel the Band-Aid off slowly rather than just rip it off with the market. So I think they are okay knowing that they're going to be late and will continue to provide an equity-friendly environment. And on top of that, the technicals are showing a lot of stocks that had great gains earlier this year are consolidating those gains. And again, could be setting up for uh, a strong fourth quarter during a seasonally strong time. All right, Joe, we got just a couple seconds left here. Any favorite part of the market or a stock that you like? Uh, I'm I'm big on software. I'm, I'm a growth manager. I like software, semiconductors. The only thing I'll say is we just need to be patient until we get through this seasonally weak time, but we're heading into a favorable uh, period in the late fourth quarter. Joe Fami, Zeller Capital, likes technology and software. Thank you guys very much. We'll appreciate it. We'll see you later on, man. Thank you. When we come back on the show, our exclusive conversation with the CEO of this country's largest natural gas producer, EQT, on the global energy crisis and the dramatic surge in those nat gas prices. Plus, your morning's big money movers, including shares of one biotech company, plummeting over a key decision on one of its drugs. And then later on, RBC Capital Chief U.S. Economist Tom Porcelli lays out what to look for, what to watch in that big monthly jobs report due out this morning. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number 
and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. Stock number one, Samsung. The company says third quarter profits likely rose 28% to $13.3 billion, the highest amount in three years. That was driven by rising price for memory chips and display sales for smartphone makers' newest devices. However, the results were slightly below analyst expectations, and Samsung shares fell slightly in South Korean trade. You can see down by about one-tenth of one percent. Stock number two is Allergene Therapeutics. Those shares are tumbling after the FDA put a hold on the clinical trials of the company's cancer drug. Allergene says the action stems from a single report of a chromosomal, chromosomal abnormality in a patient with stage 4 lymphoma. Those shares down 35% in the extended trade. And then stock number three, Quidel, the maker of at-home rapid antigen tests reporting third-quarter revenue growth that beat analyst forecasts. The company continues to see a surge in demand, no surprise for those products. It also secured a contract to supply tests to the federal government. Those shares up 6% in the pre-market trade. Well, still on deck for the show, Tinder and Lyft finding a match in one another and making catching a ride on your next date that much easier. A look at that and the morning's other top trending stories that's coming up next. Today's big number. billion. That's how much NFT trading volumes hit last quarter, according to data from DAP Radar. That's a 704% increase over the prior quarter. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, that's a live shot of Times Square in New York City, the borough of Manhattan. Things are just getting going. It's 5.18 a.m. Eastern time, just a little over, oh, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes away from the start of Squawk Box. They're over there in Times Square. This is Joe and Andrew Ward. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. We'll go across the way to NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest there. Good Friday morning, Philip. 
Good Friday morning to you, Dom. Uh, we'll start with the deadly flash flooding that has left entire communities in Alabama underwater. Dozens of people had to be rescued when as much as 13 inches of rain fell. Four people were killed. The oldest victim was only 23 years old, and a four-year-old girl who was strapped into a car seat died after the van she was in got swept away. First responders say they're heartbroken. The U.S. Navy has revealed that one of its nuclear-powered attack submarines struck an object. The collision happened in the South China Sea. The Navy says the USS Connecticut was still fully operational. Two unnamed Navy officials tell the Associated Press that it's not clear what the sub hit, but that it was not another submarine. They said two sailors had moderate injuries and nine others had some scrapes and bruises. The incident is being investigated. And the Rams and Seahawks butted heads under the bright lights of Thursday night football. Seattle scored first there, but then Russell Wilson, he would get hurt. Look at his bent finger there in the third. He would leave with that finger injury, and that would allow Los Angeles to take the lead. The Rams scored 23 points in the second half, and Geno Smith's comeback attempt comes up short. L.A. comes out of Seattle victorious. They win the ballgame 26-17. to 17. Dom, I'm back to you. I mean, Philip, I'm a, I'm a born and raised Northern California guy from the Bay Area. I'm a mm-hmm. 49ers fan, and I got to mm-hmm. tell you, we're at the bottom of the basement in probably the strongest division in football in years. All four of those teams could likely make the playoffs. What a great, what a great game. Yeah, everybody thought the Cardinals were going to be at the bottom there. And look, they're the only undefeated team left here. But, hey, there's still a long season left. And uh, Trey Lance uh, might be uh, up soon. You never know. Trey area, for sure. (laughs) Thanks very much, Philip Mena. We'll see you later. Let's get to today's top trending stories, which include an app match made in heaven, a record-setting photo, and a champagne that should be neither shaken nor stirred. Shocking. Sounds like we're going to have a it's fun bubbles, time. Bubbles, right? Christina Partsinevelis. We're going to have a fun bubbles? time today. <laughs> All right. Tinder. Let's, see what, let's see what we got. Yeah. So Tinder and Lyft, they're matching up to offer users the ability to buy a Lyft ride for a date. The feature obscures address details from the person buying the ride, and the sender can choose either a one-way or a round-trip option, depending on how your date goes. Tinder is describing the partnership as a way to get back to, quote, Making IRL connections. Dom, do you know what that means? I'll leave it till the end. An (laughs) autographed picture of baseball player Shoeless Joe Jackson fetched $1.47 million at an auction on Thursday. The 1911 photo pulled in the most money ever for a signed sports photograph. The auction also saw one of Babe's Ruth's bats sell for over $1 million. And after 27 years with the channel, Bobby Flay is leaving the Food Network. Flay has been in contract negotiations with the company as his current contract ends this year. The Emmy-winning chef has been or had been at the network since it first started uh, um, in its first year. And just in time to celebrate today's No Time to Die debut, Bollinger is releasing a limited edition 007 bottle of champagne. The company is celebrating 40 years as the official champagne of James Bond. The box features the silhouette of Bond and his iconic Austin Martin and costs 79 bucks. And we got to take a check on the top trending tickers on CNBC.com right now. You got the 10 year Treasury note, Alibaba, Tesla, Camber Energy, and Apple. Dom, we went through a lot there. We went through a lot. Okay, so, so, so I have a lot to go through, but I know that we have a limited amount of time. So I'll first start with the Tinder lift combination 
the in real life, get back together, go on physical dates again. I think it's been happening for a while now. Yes, but it this has. is a but this is an interesting partnership, right? I mean, it, it, w I, here's what I would say: Would you ever use it? Would you accept a ride from a date on Lyft? Yeah, of course I would. But the big question is: Would you be insulted if you get a round trip? Ticket. So let's say somebody, your a guy, is going to ask me out. He gives me a round trip. I'm like, okay, the date's going to end, or he only buys me one way. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm 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 a traditional guy. I'm a more conservative type guy. So I would always offer the round trip, and then see where things go. You, you, and by the way, I think the whole idea here is is you can get a refund for some of those unused fares, right? You can. You can. You can get a credit. Yes. Now, now here's the other one I want to talk about because I'm a massive 007 fan. I love James Bond. I controversially think that J uh, Daniel Craig could be the best James Bond Ooh. ever. One of, I mean, he's certainly top two in my mind. It's Sean Connery and him. But here's what I would think. $79 for a bottle of Bollinger seems like a pretty cheap proposition. That's what I said when I was, yeah, when I was going through this before. I thought that, that's not too bad, and especially if it becomes a collector's item. So maybe, Christina, we use the Tinder Lyft date app function to go to the movies to see Universal Pictures distributed 007 No Time to Die for Daniel Craig's final installment and then we have a big story to tell about what to do the next day. Well, it looks like a date with Dom, the domino would be stellar. All right, I like it. And, and, and Christina Parts and Elvis as well. Both of us, I think, are good catches for a nice movie night, right? Yes, if only we were single, right? For exactly, our right. So. <laughs> All right, Christina, we'll see you later on. Thank you Thank very you. much. All right, our exclusive conversations coming up with the CEO of EQT on the rapid rise of natural gas prices and when relief could come. The cold weather is going to be here soon enough. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. Stocks looking to cap off yet another roller coaster week as investors await that big monthly jobs report out later on this morning. Congress taking a key step to avoid a potential U.S. default as the Senate signs off on a debt ceiling hike. We are live in Washington, D.C. with what happens next. And Google looks to crack down on climate misinformation, pulling the plug on those spreading lies on its platforms. It's Friday, October 8th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today on Worldwide Exchange. Here's how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures are pointing to some, well, stable, we'll call them, markets here. The Dow is implied lower by just 17 points. Not a lot at all. The S&P is implied lower by six points and the Nasdaq down by 32. Those moves are those moves are all very muted considering what we've seen over the last week. Now, all three major indices were able to tack on gains of roughly 1% yesterday after the Senate struck a deal to raise the debt ceiling. We also want to get a check on Treasuries this morning, as we do often ahead of big jobs reports. The 10-year Treasury note yield is closer to that 1.6 mark right now. Two-year note yields 32 basis points, or 0.32%. And the 30-year long bond, 2.15% right now. All of this is happening as we await the release of that key monthly jobs report out. 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. You can see there the interest rate complex is slightly down in price and up in yields pretty much across the board. And perhaps one of the biggest stories in the market right now is energy. Those prices for oil rebounding yesterday after 
growing doubts that the U.S. will release crude from its strategic reserves in a bid to tackle tight supplies. You can see right now WTI U.S. benchmark crude just above $79 per barrel, 1% gains there, 1% gains for ice Brent crude futures to $82.74. Natural gas prices also seeing a big spike, as we've been telling you here on Worldwide Exchange. In a moment, we'll hear from one of the biggest names in that natural gas industry. But other players in energy are seeing their shares pop on those moves over the last week. Diamondback Energy is up 6.5%. Pioneer's up nearly 6%. Phillips 66 up almost 10%. And Taro climbing 6%. And Chesapeake up 4.5% as well. So a nice move higher across the energy complex. Let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories now. Christina Partzanevelos is back with those. Christina. Dom, Google and YouTube have announced a new policy prohibiting climate change deniers from monetizing their content on the platforms. The company says Google advertisers and publishers, as well as YouTube creators, will be barred from making ad revenue off content that contradicts scientific findings on the matter. It marks one of the most aggressive measures by any major tech company to combat climate change misinformation. Ford will temporarily suspend production at one of its facilities in Mexico due to a shortage of materials. According to Reuters, citing the plan's labor union, the shutdown will take place next week. It did not specify which materials were facing shortages. The facility in Sonora produces the automaker's Bronco Sport SUV. And an insurance deal to tell you about this morning. Chubb has agreed to buy Cigna's life accident and supplemental benefits businesses in Asia Pacific and Turkey for $5.75 billion. The deal marks the latest consolidation in Asia's insurance sector. The deal is expected to close next year following regulatory approvals. Dom, back to you. All right, Christina, thank you very much for those stories. Now to Washington, D.C., where Congress has moved one step closer to helping avoid a default by the U.S., after the Senate signed off on a measure to hike the debt ceiling, at least short term. Elon Moy joins us now with the very latest there. Elon, this is uh, the classic case, I guess, of kicking the can down the road. Oh, yeah, Dom, definitely. After weeks of stalemate and more than 24 hours of delay, the Senate finally voted last night to raise the debt limit and avert a potentially catastrophic default. The final vote tally was 50 to 48, right along party lines. Democrats voting for it, Republicans against it is agreed to. Republicans played a dangerous and risky partisan game, and I am glad that their brinksmanship did not work. For the good of America's families, for the good of our economy, Republicans must recognize in the future they should, that they should approach fixing the debt limit in a bipartisan way. But the GOP did end up lending a hand, providing critical support for reaching those 60 votes needed to overcome a filibuster that could have killed this bill. Now, that maneuver divided Republicans, some of whom worried they gave in too soon. So I understand why Republican leadership blinked, but I wish they hadn't. I wish they hadn't because I believe we were on the verge of victory. The American people agreed with us. Now, the bill now heads to the House, which is technically on recess, but members will return to Washington to vote on it Tuesday evening in hopes of quickly sending it to the president's desk. Now, as a reminder, the bill would raise the debt ceiling by $480 billion. The Treasury Department projects that would last until about December the 3rd. And, Dom, Democrats are hoping this will clear the decks and allow them to focus on reaching an agreement on their broader economic agenda before 
the next crisis hits. Back over to you. So, so uh, this is this is the key question for everyone, right? Because uh, markets arguably rallied on this notion that we kind of got this deal done. But I wonder, in, in terms of the overall mosaic of how this Washington drama is playing out, how exactly then do those talks proceed before the December deadline when we're going to have we're going to have to deal with all of this again? Is there a likelihood that we could actually see a broader deal done and get passed for that broader infrastructure deal and the social spending plan as well? Yes. So now Democrats have set up basically a series of rolling deadlines over the next two months. Uh, Once they are officially back from recess, they want to deal with that infrastructure bill, with the social spending package. There's a recognition it's going to be significantly smaller and they want to pass that by Halloween. And so if they can do that, that frees them up then to tackle government funding and the debt ceiling, which are now wrapped together once again um, before that December 3rd deadline. So Congress works best under pressure, Tom, um, and they've had to get themselves these deadlines in order to try to create the urgency to get something done. And those deadlines are always rolling, I guess. Ilan Moy, thank you very much for the, uh, <laughs> for the update there on the D.C. drama right now. Now to what we've been calling one of the most important economic events happening right now. The sudden surge in all things energy, particularly natural gas prices, More than 131% this year and about to cap its longest weekly winning streak since December of 2013. Seven straight weeks of gains. That's why our own Brian Sullivan sat down with one of the biggest names in the nat gas business, digging into why this is happening and how long that surge in prices is likely to last. We are very pleased to be joined now by Toby Rice, CEO of EQT Energy. And if you don't know EQT, you should. They are the largest natural gas producer in the United States. If it was its own country, it would be ranked 12th in the world in natural gas production, but not focused in Texas. They are in Pennsylvania, the Marcellus Shale, up into New York, and the entire sort of northeastern and mid-Atlantic region. Toby, really appreciate you joining us uh, with with maybe the biggest single global story going on right now. In layman's terms, and we've tried, but you're in the business Explain to us what do you think is happening with the natural gas markets in the U.S. and particularly around the world? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, We're seeing an energy crisis in Europe and Asia. Um, The pull on on LNG to to feed their their markets, keep their factories open, keep their economies going, protect and provide the the energy security for their their, uh, public during the the winters, um, has, has reached extreme pricing levels, and that has obviously risen uh, the, the price of natural gas in the United States, as, as evidenced by the rise in, in Henry Hub, um, and, and love to get into sort of what is what has driven this this almost panic buying that we're seeing over in, in Europe and Asia. Did, did, do it. That's why we have you on, Toby. I mean, and I, and I have called it panic buying. And you, I guess the question maybe you can answer also is how long might it go on? There's a lot of shorts being covered, <clears throat> some commodity deaths probably getting blown up in Europe and Asia as well. How long do you think this this will go on? And, and can you explain why that we need or they need to panic buy? Yeah, I think first off, Brian, as an energy executive, you know, we do not like seeing extreme prices. Um, but the cause of this, I, I think, is, is pretty simple to understand. Traditionally, historically, we've we've valued energy to be reliable and low cost. And now with this modern world that we're living in, there's a new criteria and we want energy of the future to be. Uh, low cost, reliable, and green. And so what we've seen in Europe has been a transformation of their grid to prioritize the green aspects of of their grid. And 
they've added probably you know more renewables in in Europe than any other place in the world. Renewables make up almost almost thirty uh, percent of their grid, and and what's come from a, an impact of that has been a retirement of of you know less green solutions like coal. Coal has been uh, wound down. Their access to you know energy security has been cut off by lowering the amount of development that they do in the North Sea, which has traditionally been their blanket for energy security. And, and so what you're left with is a grid that is not as reliable as it should be. And you know a warm winter in uh, sorry a warm summer in China has put them in the competition for LNG. And then coupled with you know less wind production as expected, you know Germany was down twenty percent wind production compared to what they estimated. Utilities yeah. in, in the UK are saying it's down 30%. And that's just left the, this country scrambling to, to secure the energy supplies they need. You know, and they're currently, you know, 20% under their their five-year average for, for gas storage. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing, you know, two continents compete for a product to stock up and provide the reliable energy source that their people absolutely need to, to, to survive. And, and- some of the stuff from China, a lot of it, in fact, comes from us, Chenier and others. We ship it. Um, also, Europe, they're buying U.S. LNG. The White House, you don't have to be political here, Toby. It's just a fact. The White House is talking about potentially stopping crude oil exports, potentially harming gas as well. What's the right strategy? Of, is there a right strategy from a political or regulatory perspective here? Or let the market work? Yeah, I think it's very simple. I think we need to understand the energy of the future, embrace that, embrace that green is going to be a criteria. But the the policies that we put in place have to ultimately respect a balanced approach towards all three of those criteria. We need a balance being low cost, being green and being reliable. And, you know, one of the things, the the, the opportunity that's in front of us today and one of the, the things that, you know, we're we're looking at this as natural gas producers and and really disappointed because all of this situation could have been avoided. If we can unleash American shale, the United States has been able to secure energy and independence here through leveraging our shale resources, and we can do more. And we and all we need to do this is more, more LNG export facilities and more pipelines. And with those tools, then we can leverage the greatest resource, American resource we have, yeah. which is American yeah. shale, and we can power the world and give the world the energy security that they need. Well, the second part of that is obviously not looking so good, which is the pipeline. In fact, you know, the analysts, they they talk about your company. Morgan Stanley just raised the price target as well. But even the ones who love your company will say improving market access is the key to EQT. Getting, you've got the gas, you've got the manpower, you've got the facilities, you've got to get it to market. That's absolutely right. And, you know, critics of pipeline infrastructure, I think, need to understand you know, when we don't have this type of infrastructure, it's not just uh, keeping this gas from reaching places like New England. It's keeping this gas from reaching places like Europe, like Asia, where they burn, you know, over 40 percent of their energy comes from electricity, um, where they absolutely are in, in dire need for this fuel source. So we need to start thinking about natural gas, not just as a domestic commodity, but as a tool mm-hmm. and a resource to power the world. And to do that, we clearly need to have more pipeline infrastructure so we can share the benefits of American shale with the world. How long, and we're not going to hold you to the prediction, Toby, but, uh, and thank goodness we're in America where we, we are going to have plenty of power th- this winter, uh, knock on wood. How long do you think this energy crunch in Asia and or Europe might last? So I think it's going to be very difficult uh, to see a situation with 
in, in Europe and in Asia where they can actually stock up. I think that they're going to be stocking up um, regardless of whether it's a warm winter or cold winter. I think it's going to take a period of time for them to stock up. Um, so, you know, believe that this, you know, pricing increase for, for LNG is going to is going to persist for, you know, well past the, the winter. All right. It's a huge story there with regard to Nat Gas. Our thanks to Brian Sullivan and EQT CEO Toby Rice on that story on natural gas prices. Coming up on the show, Tesla saying so long to Silicon Valley as it heads for the Lone Star State. Our own Phil LeBeau lays out the big takeaways from the automaker's big shareholder meeting. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories this morning. Senator Cynthia Loomis has revealed she purchased potentially upwards of, get this, $100,000 worth of, not a stock, Bitcoin. The Wyoming Republican and longtime supporter of the crypto was revealed in a regulatory filing made just yesterday. Attorneys general in 19 states and Washington, D.C. have filed a complaint seeking to block the U.S. Postmaster General's 10-year budget cutting plan. That plan includes having slower deliveries, more expensive mailing rates, and reduced hours for post offices. And Microsoft says it plans to actively look into the potential impact of making its devices easier to repair. The tech giant says it has ordered a third-party study on the matter and plans to make changes based on the findings next year. Microsoft in the news. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Tesla says it's packing up and moving on, announcing it's shifting its headquarters from Silicon Valley to Austin, Texas. Phil Lebeau joins us now with more on the big takeaways from the automaker's big shareholder meeting from yesterday. Phil, it was maybe not unexpected, but this is now on the record official. And I think a lot of people were expecting it, Dom. And so when Elon Musk said, hey, We're pulling up stakes as far as our headquarters and we're moving to Austin. It didn't generate as much surprise as you might expect maybe a year, a year and a half ago. We'll talk about the uh, the headquarter move in just a bit. Let me talk about some of the other pieces of news that came out from Elon Musk talking at the company's annual meeting yesterday. He addressed the supply chain issues that have hit Tesla and other automakers, really all manufacturers in the last year. He says it remains under pressure, likely will be under pressure at least through the next year. It doesn't really get back to normal until 2023. Cybertruck production, by the way, which the Cybertruck will be built in Austin. That's not going to start until late next year. And then, of course, there is the headquarters of Tesla moving to Austin. But Musk was he took great pains to say, look, we are not completely abandoning California. We will be continuing to expand our activities in California. So this is not a matter of of sort of Tesla leaving California. Um, As I said, our our intention is to actually increase output uh, from Fremont and from uh, Kick Nevada by 50%. The Texas Gigafactory, by the way, is not officially open yet, but we expect that to happen before the end of the year. Uh, In fact, this video here, I mean, you can, it's remarkable how much has happened since we first shot this video. The factory is essentially ready to be opened and it'll start producing model-wise likely before the end of this year. They're also opening a gigafactory just outside of Berlin, Germany. That is also going to be happening here in the fourth quarter. And one last note regarding semiconductors and the chip crisis that has hit so many in the auto industry. Elon Musk saying that the company has been taking its supply of chips and prioritizing those for car production 
instead of for energy storage product production, though he expects that to change as the supply of chips increases, as is expected to happen, Dom, over the next several months into next year. I mean, you, you think about it, and it just kind of makes sense that electric vehicle makers are going to be a little bit more reliant on on computer chips, right, than, say, just your standard internal combustion right. engine vehicle. I, I wonder, if I could go back, Phil, uh, th- this move from the HQ from Palo Alto to, Cal- you know, to, 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 to Texas, how much right. of this do you think is really about Elon Musk's disdain for California versus a real desire to be in Texas where he actually lives right now? It's hard to know for sure, Dom. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a fairly healthy mix of both, and probably more for the fact that he spends so much time in Austin and in Texas, and he doesn't spend as much time in California. Remember, he sold both of his houses in California. He essentially lives in the Austin area. SpaceX has facilities down in Texas. And one other thing to keep in mind, the Silicon Valley, not that you, you, you have to abandon it because it's so crowded, but when you go out to that Tesla facility out there, Dom, and the headquarters are in Palo Alto, not far from Fremont, they're landlocked and they are jammed. I mean, there is no room. When you go out there, you are, it, it hits you in terms of how crowded it is for them. So I'm not surprised that they've made the decision, look, let's have a little more elbow room, the future in terms of the gigafactory in Texas is going to be huge with production. Let's move the headquarters down here. And, of course, Phil, he's, he's taken painstaking efforts to cite that we're, we're not abandoning California. They still have a facility there. And he was yep. even tweeting, as I, I know you saw this morning, Phil, please consider joining AI soft, Tesla AI software or hardware. Oh, yeah. if, you plan to, if you'd like to join Tesla AI but cannot easily move to Palo Alto or Austin, That is acceptable for extremely excellent candidates where inefficiency of distance is overcome by talent. So he wants to I guess he wants people to know that Palo Alto is very much still in play. And and Dom, remember when they did their A.I. day, we said at the time, this is really a recruiting event. And that's what it's turned out to be. They need A.I. talent. He talked about that yesterday during the annual meeting. All right. Phil LeBeau with the latest on Tesla. Thank you very much. We'll see you later on today. On deck for the show here, stocks are in a holding pattern ahead of that big jobs report coming out. RBC Capital's Tom Porcelli lays out what to expect in that big report coming up. And it's Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we'll be spotlighting business leaders as well as our own anchors, reporters, and contributors. Here is Payne Capital Management Senior Wealth Advisor, Courtney Dominguez. We've seen study after study, Hispanics tend to be underinvested in the stock markets and keep a lot of their money in cash, which I completely understand. I grew up knowing the power of saving, but the power of investing just wasn't something that was taught at home or at school. But in today's day and age, it is so important to make sure that your money's working for you. You need to make sure that your money is growing for you over time. And the best way to secure your financial freedom for you and your family is make sure that you have an investment plan in place. It's that time again. Jobs Friday. Non-farm payrolls are forecast to have risen by 500,000 last month versus the disappointing increase of just 235,000 back in August. Joining us now is Tom Porcelli, chief U.S. economist at RBC Capital Markets. Tom, I always love talking to you on Jobs Day because you lay out some of that great context. What exactly should we expect from today's report? Hey, uh, yeah, it's always good to be with you guys. Uh, so we're we're looking for um, a, a, we're somewhat below consensus. I, I wouldn't make a big deal about that. I think we're 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 four twenty five or second consensus is five hundred. Uh, I mean, look, the biggest source of uncertainty for us is leisure and hospitality jobs. 
uh, you know, that was the big miss last month, right? I mean, that's why everyone got it so wrong last month. I mean, that, you know, that, that sector showed zero job growth. Um, you know, we were looking for something closer to 400,000. Um, so, you know, it uh, would be inexplicable, really, um, for it to go from averaging near 400,000 over the prior few months um, to zero uh, last month. Um, but, uh, you know, these quirky things can sometimes happen. So we've built in a, a modest increase uh, in the coming month for that sector. I mean, that honestly, I know that might sound boring. Um, <laughs> that's the biggest source of uncertainty. I think beyond that, though, I think the one interesting thing that, that could come out um, uh, is what happens with the unemployment rate. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we're sort of expecting, um, if not this month, then uh, in the, in, maybe in the next month, um, you could see, um, you know, sort of more of a, I don't want to call it a surge because we're not expecting a surge, but I think you could see more of an increase in the labor force, um, just as, you know, sort of the, the extended unemployment insurance benefits uh, expired, which uh, obviously they expired um, right ahead of the payroll survey week for this report. So you could see some increase there. If you do, um, you could actually wind up seeing the unemployment rate rise. I wouldn't make much of that, to be honest. Uh, you know, it, it, people tend to uh, um, roll into the the labor force after uh, uh, economic crisis, only when they're feeling confident about the backdrop. Um, and look, as uh, I think has been you know, pretty widely reported at this point, you know, there's about 11 million job openings versus 8.4 million people unemployed. So uh, I think they have every reason to feel confident. So, so Tom, uh, one of the things that we want to talk about now is the broader narrative of inflation with regard to the overall yeah. economy. And that puts into focus for me, at least, a, a specific line item, and that's average hourly earnings. How important is that number going to be this time around? Yeah, look, I think that, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you consider average hourly earnings and what, what it has done um, over sort of recent months, it's been rising at a, a fairly rapid clip. Um, uh, and I think the reality is, if, if we're right, that you do start to see, uh, you know, sort of more people really start to reenter the labor force, you know, you could take some of the heat off of these these sequential increases that we're seeing in average hourly earnings. I think that's a, a reality. So, so some slowing eventually, and I'm not saying it's going to happen this month, but I think some slowing in average hourly earnings in, in the coming months is, is certainly possible. But, but again, I, I would stress because I know that'll be the headline, right? It's you know, average hourly earnings are flat on the month. You know, whenever it does finally happen. But I think what you have to keep in mind is that the benefit has already been realized. Average hourly earnings have been rising so much for so many months. If you just look at a sort of a, you know, a pre-COVID baseline estimate of what average hourly earnings would have been had the uh, pandemic not happened, you know, we're, we're wildly above where we would have been. So, so a lot of the benefits are already in place. So for the people that actually do um, um, start to, you know, roll into uh, um, the, the, the ranks of the employed, uh, you know, they'll, they'll still benefit even if you don't see these sort of, you know, continued big sequential month-on-month gains. If, if, oh, just got a couple seconds left here, Tom. Is there any yeah. kind of number that would shock the markets right now? I, I, I don't think that there is. I mean, or let me say it this way. I think the range is incredibly wide to shock the market. I, I would call a neutral range on this number somewhere between 200 and 800,000. Sure. I want to be clear, not a lot of science on that. Um, just, you know, sort of conversation that we've had with clients uh, over course. recent days. But I think the neutral range is very wide. All right, the neutral range wide. Tom Porcelli at RBC Capital Markets. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, sir. Thank you, guys. That too. does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next on this big Jobs Friday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.